0: Welcome to the Fullness Church Weekly Podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. One of my sons, uh, who knows I'm off, um, who also went to Auburn, texted me the news and said, This is the greatest day of my life. And I'm like, okay. I thought we had trained you to aim a little higher, but uh, we'll go with the, the understanding. Hey, I, I, I want to tell you this this is the greatest day of your life when you realize that you are part of the church of Jesus Christ. When you get a hold of this truth that Christ has redeemed you and redeemed you not just to go to heaven, not just um, to go to heaven rather than hell. Although, again, I think that's a good thing, right? How many would rather go to heaven than hell? Yes. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing. But there's so much more that he's called you to. That you are called and placed in this, this great organism called the body of Christ. And I say organism because we have reduced church to an organization, Uh, All the conferences I've ever been to are about how to organize the church better. And honestly, I don't think we need to organize better. We have organized ourselves to death. Uh, The problem is we need to realize who we are as a part of the church, the called-out ones, the body of Christ, a royal priesthood, a living temple— a holy nation called out before to God. The, the Bible says in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, in Ephesians, I, th- I started to quote all of Ephesians to you. I can't quote it all, but to read it all to you. I Remember in Ephesians 1, Paul says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open in order that he, you can know these three things. The hope to which he has called you. Your glorious riches in the saints your inheritance, and this incomparably great power to those of us who believe. Uh, and, and many of us, we, we look at this passage or a passage like that and say, yes, I need the eyes of my heart opened so I can know hope and I can know the inheritance and I can know power. And yes, Paul is praying for that for you individually, but he's not. He's praying for the church to rise up and know who it is. He's praying to believers, not a believer. He's saying, I pray that the church, you Ephesians, will know the hope to which he has called you. Your glorious inheritance in the saints and incomparably great power to those of us who believe. He then goes on in the next chapter and talks about being born again, raised to life, not by works, but at the same time, we are God's workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in advance to do good works. Who's he talking about? The right answer is the church. Uh, He's talking about you, but he's talking about the church. You are God's workmanship. And then he goes on and says that that it was God's purpose that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the world. God's purpose, God's design for making his wisdom known to the world is through the church. And this manifold wisdom is like multifaceted. I've spoken on this before. It's like a diamond with all the cuts. Uh, of a diamond, the facets of the diamond. When held up to the light, it just reflects the light in so many various ways to all various corners. That's who we are. We're to display to the world the multifaceted wisdom of God to the world. And in that chapter, he closes us out by saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his incomparably great power, that's available to those of us who believe the church, so that why, he can display the glory of Christ to the world around. The church is a big deal. Not necessarily the church as we think of church. Um, you know, in case you didn't know, we've we've grown a lot recently, um, and we asked people to rearrange where they're sitting so some of you are like hey they don't sit there you're looking at some, you're looking at some place and you may come in soon and your chair is gone why because we need people to move up and move in because we need more space we've already added 30 to 40 more chairs to this building and we're still starting to so just who cares where you sit in the building somebody say amen Say it to yourself. I don't care where I sit. This isn't my chair. This is God's chair. (laughs) This is God's place. And as a matter of fact, look, there's a whole two rows here right up front. Somebody can come sit with me on Sunday morning. I'm feeling a little lonely over here. Some spots up anyway. The church is not an organization. It's about the living, breathing body of Christ displaying to the world the multifaceted wisdom of God. Peter, that was all prelim, that's not even on my notes yet, because I'm excited about the church. I believe in Jesus, and that through his calling, he's made the church, the called-out ones, for a purpose of displaying. Now, I want to kind of combine these ideas this morning. we're, We're talking about Kathy said corporal renewal, corporate renewal um, this morning. We're talking about what does it mean both locally as a church and what does the church need um, for renewal. And Peter is going to talk about who we are and getting a gr- grip on who we are. But church is also made up of its members. So I'm talking, I'm talking in two ways today. I want to talk individually to you about what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ because the body's not going to be renewed if you're not renewed. Uh, if there's a part of my body that's damaged, if there's a part of my body that's sick, it's going to affect the whole body, as I said last week. But at the same time, I want to speak to us. So I'm going to talk about both at the same time. I think it'll make sense as we go along. I'm just kind of giving you an idea of where we're headed. Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Kathy read a little bit of it to you earlier. If you have a Bible, I would turn there. I'm going to read to you like eight or nine verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one with you, um, you can follow along on the screen as I read. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that... Causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Again, a very rich passage with so many facets or angles or things that we could look at together, both in our behavior and how we're to relate to the world and so many different um, things. I, I, I mean, just look at the way he describes the church, that we're living stones. There's an architectural aspect, that he uh, imagery that he gives. We're a chosen people. A holy nation. Again, church, I want to encourage you. I say this over and over again. But your nationality is not our physical location. It's our eternal destination. You can write that down. It's really good. That, that saying alone will change your life if headed into an election year. And we are also a royal priesthood. It's a religious term. He covers it all here about who we are, living stones, chosen people, royal priesthood. There's so much in this passage too that echoes the teachings of Paul and Romans and Ephesians that we see as well as his quotations of the Old Testament of Isaiah and other references that he gives. Here are the aspects I want you to see both individually and corporately this morning and I'm just going to run through them and try and Help us see him because one of the reasons fullness started, one of the reasons we began is because I had been raised in church my entire life. My dad was a pastor, great man of God, loved Jesus, loved his family, great example. I'd gone to church my entire life, been a part of active Church. I'd gone to a Baptist college to be trained to, to go in the ministry. I'd gone to a Baptist seminary, spent many years there. I'd worked on staffs all over the place, and again, I I I know the church. Honestly, this isn't bragging. Maybe you think it is. Politically, I could walk into ch- any church and operate in. And be fine. I know how to politically maneuver within the context of what we call the church. And when we started Fullness, I said, I want all of that gone. I don't want political maneuvering. I don't desire to be a part of a place that's just well organized and looks beautiful. I mean, I want it to look good. Because I understand that we're reaching a culture that if you come in and you've got, you know, a hundred different chairs, all of different colors, especially in a city like Vestavia, they're probably not going to come back. You know, if the bathrooms are trash, they're probably not going to come back. Uh, so there are certain things that I understand. But that the point I, I longed for was to be a part of a people who said, God is my highest calling. How can I serve God? how can i how can god be the center of my home how can god be the center of my workplace and to, to be a part of a people who say when they go on sunday morning praise him i was glad when they said unto me let us go to the house of the lord not oh today is sunday i got to go to church i got to pay my dues part of that is realizing who we are individually as well as corporately so let me look at these points again here is the actual sermon first is this as part of God's people I'm forgiven uh, uh, Peter is saying you are forgiven once you were not a people but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy forgiveness but now you have received mercy you are forgiven. You know, I've heard counselors say that, you know, like 90-something percent of their counseling would go away if the person they were counseling would actually realize that they're forgiven. Why? Because they, they, they understand intellectually there's a forgiveness, but they can't forgive themselves. They can't really receive forgiveness and forgive themselves or forgive others. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires, which what? You've got this war going on. Yes, you're forgiven, but you still have this junk in your life that's warring against you. Instead, if you receive the forgiveness of God, I believe, and war, battle, you'll live such good lives among the pagans that though they they accuse you of stuff... They can see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The church, too many times, the world looks at us and they they speak bad. But you know what? The problem is we act no differently than the world. So they're saying, why go? These people, they, they, they act the same as I do. What good is it? Do you know that, um, as you know probably. Statistics are showing that young adults, and praise God we have tons of young adults here, uh, and thank you for moving forward at my request. I really appreciate you guys coming up and being with me. Um, But um, tons of kids raised in the church are leaving the church. And do you know the number one reason? The number one reason kids are leaving the church is because they say This didn't work for my parents. My parents don't act any differently than everybody else's parents. They fight. They argue. They're not happy. They're disillusioned. Why? Because we've reduced Christianity to some model that it's not. Instead, we have to receive and understand this awesome forgiveness of God in our lives. We are first and foremost a forgiven people. And part of the problem with forgiveness is that transformation may or may not be visible to everybody at the start. Like, um, it's so funny, uh, in case you didn't know, our office is that house at the end of the parking lot. Um, there's an office down there, and almost every time someone comes into the office, they, they're upstairs, and they're walking around, and they, then they see the downstairs. They're like, wow, this, I never even knew this, bait. This, all these offices were down here. There's a counseling room and a kitchen, and a, it, it, it's hidden, so to speak. Part of that aspect of, of forgiveness is, at first level, it's hidden, but at second level, it'll be visible to everybody. They'll see it that transformative forgiveness power at work in your life. Okay, second point is this. Not only are you forgiven, and this is a huge one, but you are also accepted, fully accepted. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful, his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. So, first of all, you're forgiven. How do you get forgiven? Through the blood of Jesus. It's what he did. He forgave you, right? His mercy, his grace, he's forgiven you. You just, you receive it. You walk in it. You didn't get to forgive yourself. You didn't get for, to pay the price for forgiveness. He did it all for you. This is Christianity 101. But it's so critical that people almost universally within the church, they struggle with Christianity 101. They struggle with this whole idea of forgiveness. Uh, why? Because at some point, they'll recognize the initial forgiveness of God and then say, you know what, I've got to work really hard and earn my forgiveness from here on out. God forgave me from their past, but everything forward, i got to earn myself. Nope, can't do it. Past, present, future forgiveness is all tied up in the cross of Christ. Forgiveness. Because here's the truth, too. As much as we want to be lights in and, and dark places, you're going to go out and you're going to mess up. You, you, you can't help yourself. You're warring against the evil desires. Every so often, the evil desire will trip you up, but instead of saying, oh, now I'm evil, now I'm bad, or what we do in the church, now i got to earn my forgiveness back because of what I did, no, I still come and I stand at the foot of the cross and I thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Christ that forgives me, past, present, future. Then I realize that I am also fully accepted. I don't have to earn my acceptance every moment of every day in God's kingdom, or in the body of Christ, I am fully accepted. Once I had not received mercy, but now I have. Blood of Christ. Once I was not part of the people of God, now I am. There's a story in the Old Testament um, about this prophet who's told to go and marry a wife. And he's told to go and marry a specific woman who also happens to be a prostitute. Now, she was probably a temple prostitute, which doesn't carry the same prostitute idea that sometimes we have in our modern culture. But it's still, she was selling her body for sexual favors among men. She was a prostitute. And if you're a prophet, let's say you're a young preacher. Let's say you're going to go to seminary or something. And God says, you know what? I want you to go marry this prostitute. It's not a good career trajectory. It's not really going to, like, say, give weight to my prophetic ministry. But he's told to, to do this. And he's an obedient prophet. He does what God tells him to do. And by the way, this is a side point. But if God tells you something to do, my advice is do it. Just a side point. Not, not, this is not part of the sermon. But um, he, he's told to do this. And then he has three children with this woman. And here are the names of the children. The first one is Jezreel. They na- he names him Jezreel, which means God scatters, or it can mean God sows. But in this sense, he was indicating that God is in the process of scattering. Then he has another child, a daughter named Loruhema, which means not loved. Oh, what a terrible name to give a daughter, right? Not loved. Hey, not loved, come here. You know, it's just a horrible name. Third one, and these are all given to him by God, is loami, which means not my son. So um, there's a question here, are these even his children? By the third one, he's kind of indicating this isn't even my child. Not my son, not my people, probably. Now, these are not only children in his household. They're a prophetic picture of what God is doing with the nation of Israel. He's about to say, I'm going to scatter my people, I am, uh, I'm am not going to show them mercy anymore. I've shown my mercy has run out on them. And they have not loved me. And they're not my people. I mean, this is a really harsh, prophetic judgment against the nation of Israel. But God has given them every chance to repent. And, and by the way, after the child... the the wife, she she runs away again and starts prostituting herself. And he goes and he buys her back. Buys her back. At first he went and married her. Now he has to go and purchase her and buy her back and bring her back into the household. And and, and really the story is kind of open-ended on how the relationship ends up. But there is a verse over in this great prophetic book of Hosea where he combines these three terms to say God is not finished with the world. And he says this, I will plant her for myself in the land. Remember that God scatters or God sows. God is planting. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. He's he's prophesying and promising. Now, I'm just going to put my cards on the table of my theology. To me, this is a prophetic word about the people of God and we are the people of God. By we, I mean the church is the people of God, which I think is a question every single person has to answer, which is going to determine who are the people of God. I'm not against the nation of Israel. I'm not anti-Semitic I, 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 in no way, but I believe the people of God are those that God has planted, those that God has loved, those that God has showed mercy to through the cross of Jesus Christ, ultimately. And Peter gives you a direct line back to Hosea when he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Who is Peter talking about? He's talking about the church. Once you had not received mercy, meaning you weren't loved, now you have received mercy. If you want to see this even played out in a bigger context, go read Romans 9, where Paul is talking about, and he quotes extensively from Hosea. Now, I'm not trying to anger anybody. I'm not trying to get things stirred up. What I'm trying to say is, church, we need to understand that God, a thousand years before Christ even came, said, I've got you in my mind. You were Gentiles. You deserve nothing. You were far from me. You were at war with me. But I planted. I showed mercy to you. I have loved you. As a result, you're fully accepted. Fully accepted. What would, how would that change our church life? If in corporate renewal, we said, I am fully accepted by God. Praise him. Paul does say in Ephesians, again, I quote a lot from Ephesians because there's a lot about the church in here. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. That's the Gentiles, by the way. That's us. We were once. You know, the the nation of Israel was far off, but they weren't that far off. They were at least closer to God uh, in his purposes and plans. But Gentiles, not so much. You've been bought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who is made both one. So we're fully accepted. Third is this, as God's people, I'm worth something. I, I, you, me, us, together, we're worth something. Again, I, I, I really want to hammer this in a little bit this morning. You are not forgiven and you're not accepted and you're not worth something because you earned it. Nor will you ever earn it. Nor can you do anything to ever earn it. You're these things because God says it over you. And you receive it. But at the same time, I think there is power in verbal confession. But to say, I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am worth something. Here's what Peter says. As you come to him, he's the living stone rejected by men, by chosen by God and precious to him. That's Jesus, rejected by God. I mean, men, chosen by God, precious to him. You also like living stones. You know, if the implication to me here is clear. Jesus, the living stone, precious, chosen, accepted. You are living stones. We had a small group called living stones for a long time. Is it still called Living Stones? You'll never meet anymore, but you're Living Stones. It's all email now. <laughs> Great name, though. Because that's who we are. We're Living Stones. We also, by implication, are incredibly precious to God. We're a treasure to him. Being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? How? How are our sacrifices acceptable to God? Through Jesus. Again, it all comes back to him, doesn't it? Our sacrifices aren't acceptable to God just because we dump them. They're acceptable to him because of the blood of Jesus goes on and says, for in scripture it says, quoting from Isaiah, See, I lay in a stone in Zion, chosen a precious, again precious, cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't. Disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Again, there's so much theologically here. I would love to untangle, but it would take us at least, I don't know, half an hour for me to get through this. Uh, But here's the idea. All of humanity is in this stream that's headed for destruction. That's our destiny. Because of sin... We're, we're in this river that's just a torrent, just flooding down this stream, this river. And there's this stone right in the middle of the river. And we either come to the stone and are dashed against it and destroyed and go on toward our destiny of ultimate destruction. Or we come to that stone and we stand on the rock and are saved. The rock, of course, is the chief cornerstone. The rock is Jesus. So we either come and stand. There are only two options here. We want to make options all around. Okay, there's a boat over here. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a rope downstream. Or maybe there's a tree I can hang. Nope. Options. Dashed against the stone headed toward our ultimate destruction and destiny, or stand on the rock and are saved. When we do stand on this precious stone, we become precious in God's sight. We are forgiven. We're accepted. We're precious. You know, it's incredible to me what people will give their lives to. I'm not going to hammer football, but I could this week. I mean, I, I... some people send me videos of people crying like their mom had died because Nick Saban retired. Now, I like Nick Saban. I root for Alabama. Don't tell my son um, who goes to Auburn. Because if you're an Auburn fan, you can, you can only root for Auburn and whoever's <laughs> playing Alabama. I understand those truths. Uh, but I wasn't raised in Alabama, and so I just want the state to look good. So I don't mind rooting for whoever's winning. <clears throat> I'm that weak. Yes, I am that weak. (laughs) But it's incredible to me that people give their lives to this. I read an article just this week. Um, it's, It's about a guy named Ken Fritz, who 50 years ago set out to build the greatest stereo system ever made. Now, you may think, well, what would that would take? Do you know what it took? It took over 50 years of his life, two marriages, alienation from children, and over a million dollars. It's a long article on how all of that occurred. He ultimately achieved, according to himself, his goal. And it's crazy crazy what it took for him to get there it's what he gave his life to then you know what happened he died happy ending he died well over somewhere between one and two million dollars is what he invested in this not to mention the slave labor of his children which he eventually destroyed the relationships with them lost as i said multiple wives He died. The entirety of his collection raised a little, when they sold it at auction, raised between $100,000 and $150,000 for the most expensive equipment you could ever purchase or home make. I don't know, but do you think on his deathbed, he said, I didn't did it. My life work is accomplished. I'm so happy. No, he bemoaned the fact that he had children who didn't speak to him. He bemoaned the fact of relationships lost. He bemoaned the fact of his health that had deteriorated. Why? Because he gave his life to something that wasn't worth a flip in the long run. I mean, I I love... Classical music in the Saint Psalm. Uh, concertos for organ. I-, I love that stuff. I think they're beautiful. But they're not worth giving my life to. Because not only am I forgiven and accepted and, pr- and, and precious in God's sight, but I-, I got a purpose. I have a plan. I have a destiny in Him. Because I'm a chosen person. I'm a part of the royal priesthood. I'm part of a holy nation. A people belonging to God. What is my purpose? That I can declare the praises of him. Who called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. You may be saying, I don't know what God's purpose is for my life. I tell you what, start here. Start here. A lot of things will become clearer. If you start with passages like this and say, okay. Okay. Here's my purpose. In whatever way, in whatever sphere of influence I have, in whatever gifting God has given me, I'm going to declare his praises who called me out of darkness into this wonderful light. Because once I wasn't a part of the people of God, but now, now I'm a part of the people of God. Once I hadn't received mercy, but now I'm a recipient of the mercy of God. Because of that, I'm no longer a stranger. I'm no longer an alien. I'm a fellow citizen. I mean, just look around and say, hey, citizen, you know, kind of thing. We're fellow citizens. We're saints with one another. We're members of the household of God. Praise him. Praising that that's who we are. Because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And everything else is built on him. We're being built together as a dwelling place. For, for who? The present power of the Spirit of God. That's why we emphasize the Word of God and the Spirit of God on a continual basis. Because that's who we're supposed to be. Let's give ourselves to that today. Let's give ourselves to the truth that we have been forgiven. That we're fully accepted. That we are precious in his sight. That we have a purpose. We have a destiny. Really, if, if we did that as a church, a local church, I believe it would change our position in the city. Again, fullness has never set out to be a big church. Um, I think we could have done that if we'd wanted. I'm not hammering those that are in any way. I'm just saying, here's what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And we can't help it. If we're not careful, we lose sight of that because that's the way the world operates. Instead, this week... Coming up, 6 a.m. every morning, we're going to be in here or online praying for corporate renewal. Praying that these truths about who God says we are would be fully accomplished. That we would know. There's a story that's told. I'll close with this. Craig, if you and the team could come on back up. There's a story that's told about uh, when settlers, and I don't even know if it's true, but it's a, it's a great story. A story is told of these settlers, and as they would trans, they'd go across the continent on the early days, they'd come to this river on the eastern slopes of the rocky, and it wasn't a very big stream, but you couldn't, you couldn't just one step over it. There was like a rock right in the middle, kind of the illustration I used earlier. There's kind of like a, just a nothing muddy rock in it. But they would step on the rock and kind of two-step over the stream. One of the guys decided that he would no longer, he didn't want to go any further west than where he was, so he just set up a cabin and a farm and a place there on the eastern slope of the Rockies. And one day the wind was blowing his door open and he grabbed this rock out of the river and used it as a doorstop. For the next two or three generations in his little cabin, he used it as a doorstop and that's how he kept it. And uh, one day, one after he had died and um, one of his descendants still had the cabin and um, this guy's child went to college to study geology, came back, looked at the doorstop and said, wow, this is, this is gold. And the guy and his dad said, well, yeah, it's, it's pretty important to our family. It's, it's, you know, like, no, he said, no, this is gold. And according to the story, it was the largest Nugget of gold discovered in the North American continent. Um, True or not, I don't know, but it's the way we treat Jesus sometimes. You know, sometimes we just say, oh, he's just a path for me to get from here to there. Sometimes it's just, he becomes like, he's in my home, but he's just kind of like a fixture. Rather than saying, you know what? He is worth everything to me. Everything. And we as the body of Christ, when we realize that the the power of Jesus forgives and accepts, turns us into a precious treasure, and ultimately gives us purpose and destiny, it will change who we are, corporately and individually. Lord, I pray this morning that we would acknowledge, act like, be the body of Christ here on this earth. I pray that indeed the eyes of our heart would open so that we can know the hope to which we've been called, our glorious inheritance in the saints, and what I've been speaking on all morning, really the incomparably great power that's available to those of us who believe. May your power... Your love, your grace, your mercy, your purpose, your destiny for us be fully realized. I pray for this body today known as Fullness Christian Fellowship, that your renewal corporately would be among us, that we would know who we are, whose we are, what you've called us to. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.